Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at Tech Buyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can. Any any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners. Hi, this is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hi everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. We are super happy today because we've got Danny Vatnik on the show who is the CTO at Personetics. So Personetics are a fintech software company headquartered in Tel Aviv, Israel, which is where Danny's dialing in from today. They have additional offices in New York, London and Singapore. The company utilizes artificial intelligence to analyze customer and transaction data in real time and uses this analysis to deliver personalized financial management information. The solutions are used by the top 12 banks in North America and Europe. Danny's worked with Personatics for almost 10 years now. He actually started his um, career with them as an R&D manager and moved into the CTO role four and a half years later. He is passion, has a passion for dynamic startups and he's specializing in the information systems field. So hello, Danny. Hello, hello. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, Hi, lovely. Nice to meet you. Um, so interesting background um, also notice that you've um, obviously you've, you've got quite a strong track record with um, startups um, as well which um, will be interesting to tell our listeners um, more about throughout this um, show so before we um, move into that in a little bit more detail it's always nice to kind of set the scene a little bit and um, tell the listeners more about you um your journey where it all began how how you got into tech um how it all started right through to, from the early years to to where you are now sure um so i feel very lucky um, i was a, a lego boy <laughs> my uh, first computer when i was eight or nine and and loved it so basically, since then, I'm, I've been doing what I love, like what I would choose to do, even if I didn't have to work. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's uh, great. You know, everything happened thanks to that. For instance, uh, learning English happened by itself when I was very young because I just wanted the knowledge. It was book days with, with pieces of paper, you know, <laughs> old school, no Internet yet. <laughs> so that took me for a long while, you know, and uh, enjoying playing with the PCs, doing little robots from an Apple II and, uh, and having great time until I think the age of 14, 
Mm -hmm. I started noticing girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I put the computer aside for, for a few years. Um, got into music, a lot of British music, like indie stuff, Cure, oh. Smiths, <laughs> Mondays, and uh, <laughs> even attended a Reading Festival. And, uh, oh, great. <laughs> and had a great, great time. Um, I, I, did, uh, I did still stay with the computer with the Mac. Like, um, my, my mom had a graphic studio with Macs in it. So I combined my passions and designed record covers for local bands and, and had a, a nice time with that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and later on, I, I reconvened with, uh, with IT uh, in the army. You know, the, Israel, everybody, when you're 18, you go to the army mm -hmm. and and you get to really play big leagues when you're very little mm -hmm. like uh, you get uh, great responsibilities and uh, opportunities to to express yourself and some things we cannot talk about other things are more mundane and and i remember one mundane incident that uh, that told me hmm, that might be a career I was stepping into the logistics office and I saw the captain there with this thick bunch of uh, printed paper. It was like, it was long paper that never ended. And he had this <laughs> marker and he was marking lines. And I had this uh, chip that I could access the, um, um, the application management and create a report for him, which was just three pages of only the things he wanted. Mm. And then when you go to logistics and you need something, you get it very easily when you have that kind of power. So, so I, I noticed. And um, that kind of acquaintances that you make during uh, army time and through the, the music business and graphics uh, took me on to um, to my first uh, jobs, and then I, I was again very very lucky to work with amazing entrepreneurs, starting from Shai Agassi had a startup that he sold for SAP when the um, in the early internet days like converting mm -hmm. ERP to web portals. Then I had uh, the opportunity to be with the first uh, messaging application. I don't know if anybody remembers it. It was called ICQ. It was, right. uh, Ooh. <laughs> it was an amazing thing. Like I started, we had a million customers. A year later, 30 million. It was kind of getting the biggest thing in the internet. It was sold to AOL for 400 uh, million and you know it was uh, I was one of the programmers but the entrepreneurs were were my age we, and nobody knew it when there it was 97 right <laughs> very early days I remember and... AOL <laughs> AOL got it yeah I remember AOL but not I've not have not heard of the messaging system <laughs> yes so it was you know it was just to understand how startup work mm. um, they did it as a defensive move because uh, um, they, they wanted to compete on the most the biggest number of uh, users 
to be the service with the biggest number of users. If anybody else would get our 30 million people, they might jump over them. Mm. And the um, CEO there came from Pepsi. So he believed in a multi-brand strategy to get, so they had AOL messaging and ICQ working at the same time. ICQ was big at some geographies and he paid um, 400 million but the very, the very next day, he got twice as much uh, as the stock rose and valuation of oil grew. They went on to buy Time Warner. And then they messed it up, but it took them a lot of time to, <laughs> to mess it up. So, so, you know, it's, you're very young, like it's, uh, I think, 20 something and, and very big things are happening. Mm. You don't understand, you never realize that, uh, that this could happen. Um, and then I started uh, in uh, web advertising, my own thing. Um, okay. Yes. And, how, uh, how, did you, how, did that, how did you start that then, if that was by, was that by yourself? With, you with friends. Okay. It was easy to raise money. It was the first internet bubble. And we came from ICQ and this amazing exit. So you just ask for money, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been exciting. (laughs) Yes, but we did not know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you worked it out. (laughs) It's it's something we'll probably talk about it later on. So we were in the general area. We were talking about affiliate marketing and... uh, and, um, generating revenue from, from clicks and, and, and smart displays. It was very close to the real thing. But in order to make a startup work, you have to have all the detailed lineup mm. and the go-to-market and the sales strategies and, and everything. And when you're young, you might have a good vision of the overall, but there are certain skills that you have to pick up along the way to make it to make it real so when this uh, internet bubble burst and we ran out of uh, funds and and of steam you know because uh, we started very early and and rode this internet wave like for 10 years without ever stopping to where am i like i'm 20 something what what's going on with my life and then i i went to india to take it easy Yeah. <laughs> a great time. That, did you just travel to India? You were just traveling where you were working as well? No, no, just traveling. All Israeli do that exactly after the army. But mm-hmm. I, I went on to do to the high tech to, to ride a bubble. Mm-hmm. So, so I did it 10 years later. And, uh, and it was amazing. I met yoga and meditation and uh, slow down. Then I, I didn't want to get lost there, but I didn't want to take it quiet. So I, um, my first degree was math and computer science. And I was more cared about psychology and people at that point. So I went to have a master's degree. I volunteered to a kibbutz. <laughs> you know what a kibbutz is? No. <laughs> it's kind of a socialistic uh, commune. And when they founded Israel, they started it oh, and cool. people came from all over the world and, and there was nothing. So they started little agricultural communes um, to inhabit uh, the place. Oh, cool. What did you the, say it's called? What did you kibbutz. say it's called? Kibbutz. 
Mm -hmm. <laughs> a nice thing to say, kibbutz. And, <laughs> and it, and it, it was a, an interesting experiment, social experiment. Israel, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Israel started very socialistic and, and gravitated to more uh, liberal and uh, mm -hmm. democracies and uh, capital economies that... Uh, that are shared, you know, very much influenced by UK and um, and uh, and the US. UK played a, a big part in shaping the culture here in Israel. Um, first of all, because a lot of the laws came from the time that uh, you ruled here with a mandate. Mm -hmm. And later on, you were quite generous, like we got Channel 4 and, uh, and a lot <laughs> of TV programming only one channel with, with. Uh, <laughs> um, channel four is a good one, though. To be fair. Yes, minister. I remember. Yes, minister. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I watched that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so, um, British culture was a big part of uh, of what we did, and I think it's still uh, still influential here. So I worked in this uh, in computer in software company for the electrical company of Israel. <laughs> And, uh, and studied behavioral science and management, um, focusing on uh, culture and motivation and, and strategy. I mean, right. very formative couple of years. Went on to, to join other entrepreneurs, um, one in the uh, food delivery business, a very um, ground up uh, enterprise. It's e-commerce on steroids because you have to order the food, make it, get it to the customer, and some of the customers are pregnant women. So <laughs> <laughs> it has to be done quickly. And, uh, we remember them days, hey, Sandra? <laughs> and it's raining and you have scooters and, and everything is, uh, is really happening. The entrepreneur there, Tamir Carmel, is, is a very, um, very strong individual. He runs marathons. He, he knows how to run a company. He, um, the, the human resources there are grown from the ground. You start with the call center. If, you, if you're there, if, you're, if you fit the culture, you can be promoted to, to more and more. And, and it's very much reflected. Yeah. I think that um, for me personally, and that was the the style I would like to to replicate uh, later on. I think it. Uh, he endured for I think 15 years until uh, a very nice uh, 200 million uh, exit that. Uh, um, <laughs> nice. That he realized. Yes. Very uh, nice. <laughs> and he recommended that I should go to to meet uh, David Sosna, the entrepreneur of uh, Personetics, the, the company oh, that I worked for uh, the last uh, 10 years. And uh, um, he needed somebody to um, write uh, a prototype for uh, um, service work in the banking industry. They are veterans. They sold a, a company that did uh, a money laundering identification for banks. Mm -hmm. They sold it. Again, a few hundred uh, millions. And then, as he says, they rested for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and they wanted to start something that leverages the same knowledge 
without competing and they thought about service the idea was to build a chatbot it was you know before Siri was bought by Apple so it was just the start of the of the chatbot uh, mm-hmm. industry he, he needed a prototype I was not sure it can be done <laughs> but why not let's start uh, <laughs> building a, a prototype. you had the fun job of the R&D manager initially <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started doing the prototype okay. and, and when working with these people, we can actually do this. And uh, I decided to stick around and, and took head of R&D. Uh, they were structuring the company very wisely. Maybe we'll talk about it with the lessons learned. But um, um, they started by taking people who are hungry and, and willing to work in uh, head off positions not VP, not see something. And again, if it works out, you graduate to the next uh, level, R&D manager, CTO, etc. And if it doesn't, then they have room to, to put uh, other people in place at, at the correct point in the company's life cycle. And, uh, and that's something I think we should talk about later on. Um, Anyway, so 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 that uh, that's where we got with Personetics, and uh, yeah, and and now you're currently CTO, um, yes. a fantastic organisation that's growing that clearly rewards um, staff and and you know and, and puts quite a high priority on progressing and promoting from within, which is which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so. What um, next um, thing that I think would be interesting for the listeners to understand is what. Um, what are your pain points at the moment? What are you challenging? You know, what are your current challenges um, as a business? I mean, obviously, we've all, the whole world's going through, um, you know, um, common problems with the whole pandemic, pand- pandemic that we're experiencing. Um, but you personally within um, Personetics, what, what are your pain areas? What are your challenges that you're faced with currently? Um. Okay, so, so let's start with the pandemic. Um, so for, for us, it, it has two, two aspects. From one side, um, the banking industry that we serve um, uh, was very threatened because the, they were not immediately hit, but uh, um, there was a risk of a major loan default that reminded everybody of the 2008 crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, the financial system across the world came much better prepared to this pandemic than, than before. Like um, um, the standard leverage of a bank is one to 10 for every one uh, dollar that uh, they have, they can put out law $10 in loans. In 2008, with kind of games, it, it got to 33, 34. But uh, all the central banks and regulation drove it down, and we were back to, to 10 this time. So the risk is, uh, is lower. Mm. But having businesses and people default on their loans, with, even with a 1 to 10 ratio, is, is risky, and that put everybody on, uh, on hold. So new deals were, were frozen immediately. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, from the other uh, angle, um, online and no branches is, is surely the thing to go. You're like, you know, we're doing Zoom, you know. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Online and, traffic's um, just gone through the roof, hasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it has. So, so existing uh, customers use our channels to communicate with, uh, with their customers. Mm-hmm. And um, we're quite sure that um, the next board meetings, that they'll have, okay, what's next? After this thing relaxes or, or predictability returns into the equation, healing will take time, but, but the problem now is that managers cannot predict what will happen and this makes them top new initiatives. So we believe a lot of them will choose to extend the digital channels and, uh, and we're looking forward for, for good demand. We did close several deals uh, during the pandemic. Oh, Actually, yes. And uh, we see good traction in Asia. Okay. The United States and, and Europe are still kind of in shock and, uh, and uh, are... Our sales teams are, are on leave or a very partial uh, time. We don't believe it's a time to, you know, aggressively sell. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we do sell, especially in uh, Asia, and, and we see the next cycle as being uh, big for us. So, so that's, uh, of course, uh, the channel challenge and opportunity mm-hmm. there. Another thing which goes back to the cycles is growth. How do you grow your business? And it's a complex environment. Each bank has their own IT infrastructure and, and uh, things they want to achieve. How do you efficiently grow the business, preserving uh, cost efficiencies and um, quality? So that's uh, always there. Interesting. And um, how many staff do you have within the business between all the offices? I think uh, over 200 people working. Okay. And how many are you personally responsible for? And now a a team of four, the CTO, responsible for innovation and and new stuff. Right. Okay. Cool. Fantastic. I think your background is obviously very varied. It sounds like you've had a really exciting career and, and managed to play a key role in some great projects. But I think everyone knows that you always learn the toughest lesson when you're in the most challenging environment. So it'd be fantastic if you can share a story, uh, a project failure, perhaps that, that, that happened to you along, along the way that you learned the most from and what you learned out of that lesson. Um. Sure. Um, I think I'll, I'll go back to the to the first uh, to the first uh, bubble burst, mm-hmm. um, and and that was a a good lesson of uh, uh, the economy cycles. Mm-hmm. You have to understand them. There's this. Uh, um, it's a, I don't know if it's Gardner or who does this, but the hype cycle. Do, do you know it? I've heard of it. Yeah. So when a new technology comes around, there's a peak of high hopes. Mm. This will change everything. You know, it was the Internet in 2000. It, it's machine learning like six months ago before the, yeah. <laughs> before the pandemic. It's still there. We, we should talk about it as well. It, mm. it is a big one. So there's a, they call it the peak of high hopes. It goes all the way up. 
And then afterwards, there's a big drop. It's the crust of disillusionment, they call it. And after that, you start growing organically and, uh, and, and, and realizing uh, some of the value that uh, this innovation uh, holds. It's usually less than the peak of high hopes, um, but, uh, but it is uh, usually sustainable and, uh, and meaningful. So um, what you should do is raise money when you're in the hill of high hopes and hold on to it tight when you hit the crust of disillusionment. <laughs> the big question is who lingers when, when the real economic value starts to, starts to grow? So um, we, we were um, good technologists um, with, uh, with a good understanding of the current internet technologies and what can be done as a next step. Less so salespeople and, uh, and uh, understanding business models. So um, we, we did not have a grasp of go-to-market and uh, pricing structures and uh, decision-making uh, structures. And we did not use our funds to, to really understand how to build a product that we can efficiently sell. Yeah. And, and, and that left us um, with, with no funding and uh, with no, um, not enough obligations in terms of customers uh, that forced us to, to linger, you know, scale back and just take care of the existing customers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the whole field, you know, you know, people we talked to DoubleClick was purchased by Google and, and many, many other things that were there when we were there really matured uh, very impressively. And I believe that lingering in the game, scaling down, taking one, two key customers, making them happy yeah. and getting out of this crust of this illusionment would be a, a good thing to do. And I think that um, young people starting startups should really understand the, the, the initial funds, the seed funds or round A, whatever you're doing, the key role is to keep you alive till you can get money enough from customers to stay afloat and be impressive enough to, um, uh, to get the next funding. But you cannot build on the next funding because another surprise like we have nowadays can hit you. And if you're not planning for it, you'll be out of the water. Yeah. And that's, it's a tough situation that many people are in, I guess, at the moment. And this will be an interesting one because I think a lot of organizations are dabbling in artificial intelligence and they're trying to build up and scale teams. And it's hiring is tough anyway. Obviously, we know that as recruitment consultants. But um, I've heard the market is quite competitive as well in Israel. Um, how do you attract and retain great talent? First of all, yes, it's, it's, it's very tough. It's very tough. Um, I think that uh, um, I think there are two questions here that I will relate to. One is uh, what's happening with machine learning nowadays. 
and the other is just attracting uh, the, the right people. Attracting the right people, I think the, the, the key thing is success. When you have momentum of success and uh, an interesting uh, industry, um, it's easier to, to get people on board um, uh, than, uh, than otherwise. And when you have them, you have to keep your culture balanced um, we cannot all be Google, you know, and give them like more than they can ever dream of in, in terms of uh, perks and, uh, and status. Um, but, uh, but you have to keep it uh, reasonable that it will be economical from a management side and uh, fun enough uh, for others. And so, you know, we have events, we, um, we try to, be, to create a young, friendly uh, atmosphere. And um, when we started out, we, we wore, you know, banking clothes. Mm. And as time went by, we, we got to T-shirts. <laughs> the, the working hands now are, are, are Y generation, starting to be Z generation, like, you know, Z generation is born in uh, 95. So, um, um, they need their teachers. Um, I'll go back to, to machine learning. Yeah. Um, so, um, machine learning, first of all, it's an amazing revolution that is happening now. Like, it is. Like, the power of what it does is, uh, is just uh, um, amazing, especially for uh, restricted tasks. And the algorithms are uh, are very stable for uh, for a while. Architectures change, but the core algorithms uh, remain the same. They've been around from the 1900s, like 1847, I think. The, the core algorithm was discovered by Cauchy. It's called gradient descent. And now it's being used on a very high scale because of the power of computers. The real problem that arises is taking real problems from, from the real world and making them learnable. So, so that's the key. What we do in the machine learning uh, space is we focus most of our efforts on uh, people uh, that are not necessarily algorithm specialists, mm -hmm. but uh, subject matter experts and we try to understand what are the impactful um, conclusions that we want to come from and how can we take the data that we have access to and make it into a learnable problem. Brilliant. When you do that, you can take <laughs> very standard libraries available in open source and have a very small team of uh, good implementers that do understand the algorithms and push it forward. So looking at the problem instead of uh, trying to innovate in the solution is something that uh, was powerful for us in this space. And it's quite a unique way of looking at it and mm. I guess hiring actually coming from the other side of it. So, um, yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, so um, what are you, um, you've talked about many um, passions and you've referred to a lot of entrepreneurs and very successful um, entrepreneurs and 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 people that have really grown startups businesses some really kind of um groundbreaking um businesses 
Um, so obviously it sounds like you've got a lot of passions. Um, what are you most passionate about? Um, so, you know, generally speaking, life. <laughs> you know it's uh, it's people music and uh, and relationships and uh, I feel that I uh, was very lucky in the opportunities that I got and the connections relationship that I got into and and uh, nowadays I I feel more about uh, giving back sharing yeah my wife is a physiotherapist and, and she helps people after strokes and after accidents. Oh, and, wow. and when she comes back home after, you know, somebody had a stroke and suddenly they can move their hand. Yeah, it's nice and rewarding, isn't it? Yes, the joy of that is, uh, is, uh, is, yeah. is unparalleled. So, so th- that's something uh, that uh, I would like to, to, to tap into and I'm, I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, um, is there anything that you've got on the agenda coming up that you might be getting involved in that could help you fulfill those passions? Um, maybe like the, mm-hmm. the pandemic uh, might have opened the window. There. <laughs> yes, um, you know, um, if, if we talk about um, um, learnings that I think should be shared with, uh, mm-hmm. with people that are interested in startups. Um, uh, there are, I, I see three distinct stages in the life uh, cycle of a startup. The first one is getting the product right. You should have a very smart, agile team with very high interaction with the market, with design partners, making sure that you drive value. And the second stage is preparing for growth. Now you know what the winning product is, but you need to get all the processes, all the editing environments, um, all the sandboxes, everything ready. So when you scale it, it will be high quality and, uh, and efficient. And later on, uh, you need just to, to grow it. The, um, there is uh, less room for innovation. Usually the team is bigger. And uh, if at the beginning it was, you know, a team that held all the knowledge in uh, 12 people working like crazy with the knife between our teeth, sitting inside, uh, inside the bank networks and, and coding, um, it changes. And every decision has to get agreement of more people. Usually what you do at the end of the preparing for growth stage is uh, get the middle management in place. And they should be more about process. You, you can call it bureaucratic, but, but it, it, it has bad connotations. But it's about order and, uh, and assurance and, and, and stuff like that. So currently the, the stage that uh, Personetics is in is that uh, we're growing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, my personality is kind of uh, kind of cramped there. So um, uh, currently, I'm, I'm I'm looking for uh, opportunities in the health space to take these okay. uh, AI capabilities and uh, and bring some of the some of the marvels that uh, that can be done maybe to a wider audience thanks to to AI. Fantastic. <laughs> 
Um, brilliant. So, um, you've obviously we've talked quite a lot about the future um, in terms of tech, um, AI, machine learning. Um, I was one of my questions was going to be ask, to ask you more about what, in your opinion, what is the future of tech. Um, so I don't know if you want to expand on a little bit more about what we've just discussed in terms of AI and machine learning. Um, yes, yeah, so um, uh, as we said, currently um, uh, AI is very good for uh, um, restricted tasks. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, labeling images. Um, mm -hmm. You have an image with uh, somebody throwing a frisbee to a dog. That's the classic example. I don't know why. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a, a text line saying what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and this has great implications because now you can have a, a textual-based uh, search engine um, give you that image when, when you find it in a very efficient way. So um, image processing, natural language understanding, and mm -hmm. translation. We all know that, that these problems are almost kind of solved. Um, however, when you want to have a system that acts by itself, self-directing uh, self in terms of goals, we go into di more difficult problems uh, the, coming from philosophy. What is meaning? <laughs> what should I do that and not that? In yeah. self-driving cars, you get into morality. It's, 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 morality is easier than meaning. Why, why some, something should be done. And uh, um, I, the, the experts uh, believe that, uh, that uh, this will take more time. And in the middle ground, we, we will get the economical tidal waves of... Uh, mm -hmm you know, TikToks and, and just trying to have the eyeballs and sell stuff, uh, drive where we're going instead of uh, trying to, to have something more meaningful and uh, from the, you know, liberal arts or, or uh, softer things that, uh, that we would like uh, to see. And, and I believe that's uh, how uh, it will go. Restricted tests will be solved one at a time. The combination between them will create great value. Um, I see the, the best point moving forward uh, is the combination of human and uh, AI. You can see it every day when you use Google. You without Google is a, is a different animal. <laughs> I remember sitting with my friends and arguing about facts before Google. You could do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> now it's always my answer to everything yeah. is google it have you googled it <laughs> yes and, and it's and you, you know it's a minute you can do it for weeks so um, and google is nothing without you because it has no meaning so yeah. so that's kind of the hybrid that is happening and create and and having a very big impact of the connection of the society and the and technology, we'll see more of that. The, the health industry that I'm investigating now is bubbling. Mm. They can take your, a picture of your retina and predict heart disease. Yeah. And, and, and so many other things. But still, the wellness of, of a single person is, uh, from, for economical reasons, is sometimes left unattended.
So um, th that's a dynamic that, uh, that f for me will be, you know, trying to navigate it will be something for the next decade, for sure. That's exciting. Like you say, you're combining two things. You're passionate about helping people in that aspect, but then obviously your, your skill set within AI is fantastic. So yeah, definitely brilliant and excited to hear what you get up to over the next couple of years within the health tech scene, which is well, definitely... We have to set another date. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. A decade from now. A decade from now. Yeah, 12 months. <laughs> so, um, are clearly passionate about learning and, and, and developing your skills. What books would you recommend or authors um, that have really stood out and helped you get to where you are today? Um, I really like full stackers. Mm -hmm. uh, people that can take an idea and, and cover all the technologies needed um, to make it a reality, meaning uh, front-end design, Understanding the people and the needs from the market side, understanding the user experience, understanding front-end development, understanding the server side, understanding the databases, understanding the learning algorithms involved. And uh, um, the best thing to do is learn a bit, do a bit. Learn a bit, do a bit. Mm -hmm. Then you don't get too theoretical with lots of you know, big towers of learning that you never internalized because you never got to practice mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly and uh, and on the other side um, you do something you get the feedback if it's good you pursue it and, and climb the next uh, step in the ladder if it's not the thing you didn't over invest and and you can step down and try another ladder mm -hmm. so um, if, if I would uh, recommend somebody who's passionate Industrious, it's very important. Industrious, yeah. diligent people have more fun. So if somebody is like that, I, I, would, I, I would recommend uh, doing full stack, like trying to experiment with all the, the stations, not focusing on one function. Later on in life, you can focus on something. Specialize. Exactly. But you have to understand how the whole thing works mm -hmm. and, uh, and iterating studying today you can study amazingly like the youtubes and things you you can get into a new field amazing yeah and there's so, so much access to information now isn't that that helps is there any books that you've read that have stood out for you though that have helped that have helped you on along your career um, a very old one um is uh I don't remember who wrote it, but it's uh, the use case driven approach to software analysis. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the software analysis, looking at the problems and understanding the semantics of the problem domain, not mm -hmm. the solution, is kind of underrated now as, as people study. And, uh, but that's where the magic happened because um, your solutions have to be simple. If they're not simple, you will get stuck with them. Complexity is the enemy of every CTO. Like when you do business, uh, you have to pivot. You go to the market and it needs something else. For instance, in Personetics, we started with doing chatbots. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2013, we had a, a voice-activated chatbot with an undocumented Google API working in a big, uh, successful bank in, uh, in the U.S., and nobody knew what to ask. <laughs> so we looked at the data, mm-hmm. and we, we said, okay, this is what you can ask. And then we told ourselves, why should they ask? <laughs> and then in the homepage, we just saw them the interesting questions with the interesting answers. <laughs> Graphically presented, you don't have to talk, you can show it in a graph, it's, it's, it's more engaging. And um, so you do have to pivot. And if your solution is complex, maybe you will manage to do the first pivot, the yeah. second one. But then you will, ha- will start uh, telling your CEO, this will take a lot of time. I'm not sure we can do that and, and stuff like that. So the, um, the solutions m- must be simple. Yeah. But you should go to the essence of the problem and understand what should be solved. This is something that Steve Jobs was doing. He was sitting with his wife discussing the essence of a washing machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the use case-driven approach uh, breaks down how the users will actually interact with with what you do as as the core theme that guides your user interface design the components in your software up to the testing of your system mm-hmm. so that would that's something i would recommend to internalize as, as you grow in this business fantastic i think it's really interesting because you're clearly solving very complex issues within financial services with this data approach but the way that you discuss it and describe it it comes from a problem-led solution so it makes it sound a lot more simple particularly when you're discussing it to like me and sandra who are mm-hmm. absolutely technical so and, and that's the, yes yes that, that's the point of it you should be able to discuss what you do with everybody you know the, the, the places that talk with acronyms? Yeah, yeah. Three letters that can mean anything in any field and you, you understand nothing. If you cannot explain what you do to the users who should be using it, problem. Yeah, that is a huge problem. Exactly. Fantastic. Amazing. There's um, definitely lots of stuff that I can take away from our discussion today. Um, if anyone does want to reach out and ask you any questions, um, Danny, is it best LinkedIn, Twitter? What's the best form of contact for you? LinkedIn is fantastic, I, I, I think. Yes. Um, so everybody's welcome and, uh, and, and everybody uh, is accepted. And, and I try to, to follow up. Uh, usually you start with Twitter and if it's getting to a discussion, we, we move to other media uh, easier to, to discuss. Fantastic. And we're, um, we're affiliated with AI Tech North, which is an annual conference um, mm-hmm. around artificial intelli- intelligence in the north of the UK. But actually it's got global reach now. So that's um, going to be at the back end of this year. So perhaps we can get you involved in that as well. Ah, would love that would love that it's it's an amazing amazing uh, market well now everything's on zoom anyway it makes it a lot easier (laughs) yes no 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 need to travel and pollute exactly 100 okay fantastic it's been fab having you on and thanks so much for your time danny thank you thank you